It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. I am joined, as ever, by Mr. Stephen Finn, and I'm joined by Mr. Daniel Norcross. Now, oh, brilliant. Now that's our producer there, who uh, who is currently on his way back from Central London. (laughs) Our producer's done that. That's fantastic. That's not me. He's the brains of the operation. I thought, hang on, how have I suddenly made a train announcer appear in my... <laughs> if anyone is capable of making a train announcer appear in on Zoom, it would be Norcross, but that was our producer there. He's normally the brains operation. He's normally the glue holding this whole thing together. If he falls, he's like the canary down the mine. If he starts falling apart, we've got nothing left. We're uh, anyway. screwed. Oh well, this was, this will be the last one. So yeah, welcome everyone. Well, we had a good run. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I say we had a good run, but um, so I'm joined by Mr. Stephen Finn and I'm joined by Mr. Daniel Norcross. And this podcast is called Zero Ducks Given. However, one person on the internet who gave us a one star review said this should be mm. called the Daniel Norcross Self Importance Podcast. Yeah, he said biggest load of sun dried tomato eating, flip flop wearing lardy da crap i've listened mm. to in my life and then the, the headline of that review was load of self-important rubbish yeah. and he gave us one star first of all before you defend yourself norcross no no Finney, defense no Finney, defense. um really that person's review echoes what you've felt uh, for some time now yeah what 110 episodes or so i'd say i've thought that and it's only took me this long to actually pluck up the courage, um, make an alias and write it on Google reviews. Yeah. Now, Norcross, I mean, yeah. it's hard, I guess, to say that you're not self-important when, as I look at you, your reaction yeah. to this one-star review is to take a long drag of your cigarette whilst wearing a poncho. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, nothing screams self-importance more than that. I mean, I, look, I, I, I played Gimme, Gimme, Gimme on a kazoo the other day. You cannot get more self-important than that. And... And I take that criticism on board. I mean, unfortunately, that's just the way it is, you know. So 
Uh, and, and I and I do like sun dried tomatoes. He was on the he was on the button on so much of it. Flip flops wrong. I think that might have been a metaphor for my shifting opinions on anything. And, you know, mm. so it's quite a clever, quite a clever thing to to do there. Uh, but because if he means actual flip flops, now I, I don't wear flip flops. I only wear comfortable shoes. I'm quite a self important man in that way. Mm. So the mm. shoes I wear have to be, and I think this is true of everybody, uh, comfortable first. Do you, do you know what we're doing wrong here, though? Is right because uh, believe it or not, we now think there might be four whole people out there that enjoy this podcast. And yet, whenever I listen to other podcasts, all they're ever doing at the start and end of every episode is going, oh, make sure you leave us a review. And we normally just dive straight into a story about, I don't know, like a, a zint that Norcross popped in 1978 or something. And we don't... We don't it was like, 19, we, 1991, I think. I think okay, well, that was weird. But, um, or, you know, a story of Norcross, you know, defecating in a mixing bowl. It's just, you know, we dive straight in and we never ask for anything. And I think we, we, we're being too polite. We need to... If you're listening to this podcast right now, can you please go online and just give us a five-star review, okay? Because otherwise, old Captain One Star over here, who hates Norcross, <laughs> he's going to drag our average right down. We've never asked you for anything as listeners, and yet here we are. We give and we give and we give, and it's you know it's high time that all four of our listeners do the noble thing, go mm. online and give us a five-star review. And no, no four-star reviews, even if you do think it's a sort of free four-star product, just go for five stars because there'll be plenty of one stars out there, so it'll all level out in the end. But I'm gonna I'm gonna start being a bit more greedy and start requesting. Is that, is that, sorry, is that, is is that how reviews are supposed to take place now? So when you come to do a review, you anticipate what all the other reviews are going to be like as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so you so if you think something's just a bit shit, you think yeah, but there've been too many excellents have been put in there, so I'm going to have to give it terrible. Yes, as a sort of level playing field. Exactly that. So look, trust me, got to, oh, if you're listening to this podcast, there's going to be one-star reviews out there, you know, but and and they'll look after themselves, okay? They're a law unto themselves. But if you are listening to this podcast right now, please take the time to go and give us five-star reviews on whatever, whatever tickles your pickle. Google, iTunes, Spotify. I don't know where people listen to these things. I don't know why people listen to these things. But if you would take a moment to give us a five-star review, it would be greatly appreciated. Now, that person uh, wasn't the only angry person I saw on social media this week, because believe it or not, there's a lot of angry people on social media. I know it's a shock. It's not all warm, fuzzy rainbows and unicorns on social media. There are some angry people out there. And one of them was Stephen Finn this week, who tweeted. He said, great bouncer by Sam Curran to get the wicket there. But isn't it utterly ridiculous that in English domestic cricket, that would be called a no ball for height, even though it was edged. And then he did some emojis to continue conveying his emotions, uh, including a clown emoji. Stephen Finn, what, what's upset you now? Come on, talk, talk to us. This is a safe space. No one's listening. Well, I think that tweet really speaks for itself. I mean, whoever designs the rules in English cricket has obviously clearly never played cricket at the top level before. Um, and believes that it's acceptable for a, a bouncer that is edged through to the wicketkeeper over head high. And it was only marginal as well, that Sam Curran one. And I've been involved in a couple of games where this has happened. Um, and it's called a no ball. And you're asking an umpire at square leg, who it's very hard to see from square leg anyway, without the benefit of uh, replays and side on replays to make a judgment call on a moment in a game that could prove decisive as it has done in a couple of games that I've played in. So 
that's my reasoning for the rule being utterly ridiculous. I will stand by it every time I've been a captain and I've had to do one of the post-game reviews. I make sure that the the match referee writes it down in his report that I think the rule is utterly ridiculous and it's fallen on deaf ears, which is somewhat unsurprising, really. So it's so it's a, it's a to, to be clear about this. So it's not a law. It's not strictly speaking a rule. It's a, is it a playing condition in yes. white ball cricket? It's a playing so, co- no. It's a playing condition in all cricket in the United not, Kingdom. In Test cricket? No, in domestic cricket. The one right. that the ECB has jurisdiction over, they've decided to change the rules from that is played everywhere else in the world. And a noble about a bouncer that is bold that is above head height is a noble, so therefore it's two runs. Whereas everywhere else in the world, it's a wide. But if the batter hits it somewhere else in the world, so if they pull it straight up in the air or they get an edge on it, as that delivery did that Sam Curran did the other day, it's a legitimate mode of dismissal. Whereas in the United Kingdom, under the ECB's jurisdiction, that is called a no ball, whether the batter hits it or not. Now, this is an absolute outrage, and I am absolutely—I I, am furious. It it's been the rule for four or five years. It's an utter and, and we've never understood it. When you're commentating, you can't quite work out why that's called a noble. But I've never seen anybody edge it. I have and not be given out. I, yeah, but I haven't. So, so this is news to me, and I am enraged on your behalf, Vinny, and, and actually on any sane watcher of cricket. This is absurd. What on well, earth is the thinking? I'll tell you what. This podcast is really surprising me nowadays because. I agree with Stephen Finn that it's a ridiculous rule as well. Last week, we had our first ever exclusive. And if you missed it, make sure you go back and listen again. But two words for you, Delray Rawlins, all right? Oof, biggie. Yeah. <laughs> Argentina. <laughs> so last Does it get week, bigger we... than that? World champions. It was huge. So last week, we had our first ever exclusive. And this week, I think this is the first time all three of us have ever agreed on something. But I agree that's a ridiculous mm. rule. Now, Finney, when they changed the rule, did they give you any sort of explanation for why it was being changed no which again doesn't surprise me and so you insist that you see so you go up to the umpire and you say right i want to watch you i'm going to stand over you and watch you put it in your notes right now stephen finn's not happy about this yeah i peter such is probably sick of me telling him to write it down <laughs> yeah but he deserves it he, he honestly not for any particular reason but if he's part of whatever madness is allowing well, no, you just to hope prevail. you just hope that someone at the ECB will read those reports, but obviously they they won't, and they well, don't. Why don't they just? Why do they act unilaterally? I mean, we can see it's obviously right. Everyone should just say no. We're not going to do it. The umpires should boycott it. They say, look, we'll either play the game but not allow that to happen, or there'll be no game. There'll be no umpires. I mean, I mentioned this last week. I don't think cricketers are doing enough in the cause of you know making real change like I, I suggested a general strike last week didn't i have uh, for the first two rounds of county championship and this time i think just for decency's sake you should refuse to play or, or at least like police yourself the umpire should say no we're not doing it because the, they must feel like idiots having to do that i think you're going to struggle to convince the batsman to refuse to play with that rule in place i'm sure the batsmen are very happy with that rule now finney here's the thing right <laughs> you need to message it because look no disrespect, but that piece of paper lands on the ECB desk and they see it and they go, oh, Finney's moaning to Peter Such again about this law change. And they'll get so many bits of paper through after every round of four-day games that it, you know, it will just get pushed aside. You need Ben Stokes to take it to Twitter. You need your old pal Stokesy because, first of all, he's the darling of English cricket. And secondly, 
as we've seen over recent years, if you need something done, you need to badmouth people on Twitter. If you Sam Curran slagged off an airline on Twitter the other day, and and <laughs> you know things get resolved. Things get resolved. Oh, yeah. Did he? What was his problem? Um, I think they basically he was booked in for business class and then when he got there, his seat was broken and they couldn't get him on the plane <laughs> and he wasn't happy about it. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I'm, I'm very much one for, I'll draft a, a tweet to someone if something's annoyed me and then I'll try and give myself a moment's pensive thinking to think, are you going to look stupid in 20 minutes when you've calmed down mm. when it comes to this? So the amount of times that, I've drafted a tweet when I was a little bit addicted to playing PlayStation, when I drafted a tweet to EA Sports telling them their game's a disgrace and a joke um, <laughs> and that they're robbing people of their hard-earned money for the standard of game that they're producing. <laughs> when I drafted those tweets a few times, I'd, I'd have to give myself 10 minutes to calm down and decide whether I actually wanted to send it. But I felt so passionate about this. As soon as Sam Curran took the wicket, I walked into my bedroom where my phone was on charge. I picked it up. I tweeted and I sent it straight away. And it didn't quite get the traction I was hoping for. I didn't get one like from a professional cricketer. <laughs> <laughs> well, not even Delray Rawlins. No, not even not even the bankers. No. So, um, so maybe it's just me that's that aggrieved by it. Well, I mean, I did reply at least. I replied saying, you've got nothing to worry about, mate. You barely get the ball above shin height nowadays. I thought it was a very fair point. I don't think this is a rule that really, it might have affected you 10 years ago, Finney, but now it's really the, the least of your worries, really. No comment. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to see that you're upset, Finney. And look, when no, using... don't leave it at that. Don't leave it at that, Toby. I think we should start a campaign. I think we should show some solidarity with Finney. Okay. You know, I think he's been right to be angry and perplexed. And it's also marvellous, incidentally, that he didn't send those tweets about EA Sports, but has now instead committed it perpetually to a um, podcast instead. So, yes, that's true. Yeah, uh, Sam Billings still still terrific. Sam Billings writes those tweets to EA Sports. He doesn't he doesn't take ten minutes. He just what said, does EA Sports do that's so bad? A thing called DDA that you know that young people will understand if they're listening to this. Yeah, there, there are numerous things that EA Sports have have done to to annoy me over the years, but thankfully I'm through that phase now. <laughs> would you? Now I would say that one thing that has changed in gaming since I used to, because I used to play with Xbox and stuff, but I got bored of it because you can buy all these bonuses and extra players and power ups and stuff in all games now. When I was first started playing games, you just became the best at the game by being the best at the game. But now it's whoever's got the mo most access to their parents basically credit card and can buy all the extra bonuses that come with games. It's a, it's a sad state of affairs. That's it's, like a, it's like a metaphor for real life, isn't it? It is. It's like capitalism. Like, basically, Nepo babies have now wormed their way into the gamosphere. Hey, I right? will not now. I will not join the wade in on Nepo babies. I'd be, it would oh, be, really? It would be very, <laughs> it would be very amiss of me to get involved in that debate. So I'll leave that to, to everybody else to discuss. Uh, right, let's talk a bit, little bit more about cricket. Uh, first of all, we need to talk about the England women's under-19s finalists who lost to the Indian women under-19s in the under-19 World Cup final on Sunday. Um, first of all, because I want to focus on the game that the England women won, because I much prefer an England win, the semi-final was one of the greatest games of cricket I've ever seen. And uh, it probably shows how far the game has come that whilst the England men were playing an ODI against South Africa all that I could see on Twitter was people that were glued to the England women under 19's World Cup which I don't think is something that would have happened maybe 10 years ago but if you missed it the England under 19's women got skittled for 99 
and it looked like it was all going to be rather embarrassing. And then Australia dropped down to 59 for seven, chasing 99, and then eventually lost by three runs in a thrilling finish. They were 96 for nine and then 96 all out. It was an unbelievable game of cricket. Now, Finney, you've said this many times. Cricket's always a bit more interesting when ball's on top of bat. And yet, and yet all the, uh, you know, we just discussed that ridiculous rule in domestic cricket. But there's something about, uh, it's not great if a team gets bowled out for 99 and then the other team knock it off. But a low scoring tight game is always the best type of game, isn't it, Finney? Yep, I agree. Um, yeah, I think to want it all the time, it, it might be slightly overkill. But I think every now and again, when it produces a match like that, especially when people are under pressure, and you're under pressure to make good decisions, I think that it can um, it can make it very difficult for the batters, uh, and that's what I like to see: batters under pressure. So, yeah, I, I think it's great the way that they fought back, the character that they showed to in a World Cup semi-final to get bowled out for that, yet still believe that they could go out there and win the game. I thought it was amazing. Um, Unfortunately, they lost to India, who had some superstars. I mean, not saying that the England players aren't superstars, but these Indian players, a few of them, have been playing regular international cricket for a couple of years. So um, it felt like maybe a slight mismatch. So they could be, or they should be, very proud of, of what they achieved over there. And and how many times do we say it, that the best fielding side win tournaments as well? And the Indian women's fielding was was incredible, especially in the final. But um, Norcross, there I guess a bit, there was a just there was a there was an echo though. There's a there was an echo of um, revenge in that women's semi final against Australia because it reminded me of when do you remember when Lloyd Pope suddenly skittled the England under nineteen boys when they had a, a really simple chase it looked like, and then Lloyd bloody Pope came to about eight for the zip. And uh, and, it, and it felt, I don't know, at the time I was watching, I was thinking, oh yes, this is retribution for Lloyd Pope. I don't quite know why I was thinking that, but it was, I, it was, it was brilliant that there was proper coverage of it as well. You know, good commentators, good cameras. There are things you can complain about, not, you know, reviews and that sort of thing weren't there. But to th- an under 19 women's world cup is an amazing thing. Uh, just it's happening and then it getting that coverage. And I'm sort of a bit torn about the Indian thing. Shafali Verma playing. I mean, she is an absolute superstar of women's cricket. She'll get a, a huge, the biggest women's IPL contract going and that'll be six figures. And her uh, playing the under 19 seemed faintly ludicrous. Yet at the same time, it meant that people were drawn to it and were watching it and Indian eyes were on it. So actually, it was probably really good for the exposure of the game. Um, and that's part of what's what's important about, you know, this development, this period of growth growth in the women's game. So, yeah, it was fantastic to watch. The final was a it, disappointment. It was. I mean, you know, you can't, you can, you know, you can maybe excuse getting bowled out for, for 99 in the semi-final, especially when you then go and defend it. But you're asking, you're asking your bowler to do a hell of a lot when you get bowled out for 68 in the final. But it was an yeah. amazing run and... Uh, and it's nice to see the, the the future generation of this is the age group, this age group of England under 19s. It's the sort of age group that we we're expecting to see more and more of now because of how much women's grown in the last few years. These are the girls that have grown up watching their heroes over the last sort of 10 years. So um yeah, very exciting times ahead for the England women. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we also need to talk about the, the Cricketer of the Year awards and uh, very, very successful. First of all, Mr. Ben Stokes. I mean, he is the absolute darling of not just English cricket, but but world cricket because he was named the Test Cricketer of the Year, despite the fact he's got some pretty average statistics <laughs> last year. He's averaged about 36. He took a few wickets. And um, ICC even said in their statement, sometimes it's not about statistics. And they talked about how he's revolutionised this this Red Bull team and the brand of cricket that they're playing. And um, so it was more of a sort of tribute to his captaincy and what he's done with this side. And I don't think there was any complaints really. Um, but Finney, I mean, Ben Stokes is an absolute superstar. I mean, a megastar. I mean, it, frankly, it's it's ridiculous. We, for me and Norcross, who are just cricket fans and geeks who love it, and we sort of basically see him as a sort of God-Superman hybrid. But what about professional cricketers what's the sort of standing that Ben Stokes holds in say a Sussex changing room do you guys talk about the do you guys talk about these guys like we do about how bloody good they are yeah I mean it's no surprise that people around the world think that Ben Stokes is a superstar because I think the way that he plays the game and even though you're right those statistics that were put up on those posts when he won the award in terms of his output as a player wouldn't usually win him the World Cricketer of the Year award. But I think the magic of Ben Stokes and what makes people talk about him is actually the way that he approaches the game and the way that he's been able to translate that into his captaincy and make other people believe that they can play that way as well. And I think that's the magic of Ben Stokes. I think previous all-rounders that we've seen become captain, Flintoff, both um, have wanted people to play like them, but haven't quite inspired people to do it. And the way that, yeah, the way that Ben Stokes has gone about it, I think is the reason why people are talking about him. And obviously the reason why he's ended up winning that award, but certainly his attitude, not just his skill. I think his skill is 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 obviously there. And, and one of the things that people would mention, but his attitude is the thing that is mighty impressive. I mean, those numbers, by the way, Toby, are pretty much his career numbers. Mm. His is his year is pretty much his career and we think of his career as being exceptional. So his numbers are pretty good actually, uh, especially doing what he was, what he's asked other people to do. I mean, he's taken a, such a massively high risk approach to the way he's batted. I mean, he's got out in, in some extraordinary ways and he's put himself in the firing line to go and do ridiculous things, ridiculous times when trying to get declarations or whatnot. Um, so those numbers are slightly skewed as well by, by what he's asked his other players to do by demonstrating it himself and it's that that is so bizarre a bit like Finney said like how he's got everyone to buy into it it's almost like don't 
it's, you don't have to be as good as me. You just have to be as good as yourself at what you do. And, and you can do that. And it's a, it's a kind of wonderful thing to see the positivity exploding across the ball. So I would say his agency on English cricket this year has been so massive that if you're doing career averages, career numbers anyway, you're not getting any worse and you're doing something extraordinary. Then I think World Cricket of the Year, or I'd go Universe Cricketer of the Year. I would I would take it wider, stratospheric. I'd, well, we haven't seen the level of cricket on say, Is that self-important enough for you? Well, I mean, we haven't <laughs> seen this. You say we, it's like, I've never understood this because they do Miss Universe. Yeah. But, but the, the winner's always from Earth and that pisses me off. Yeah, they are always from Earth, aren't they? Yeah. Do, you know what, do you know what I mean? We haven't well, seen... Well, at least we think, they're, we think they're from Earth. Well, exactly. But we haven't seen the calibre of Lady, you know, in other galaxies, for example. And so I don't think we can... Ben Stokes is bloody good, don't get me wrong. But how do we not know there's a bloke, you know, on Pluto bowling off spin that turns sideways and averages 60? Well, yeah, but can he can he do it on a flat track at Trent Bridge? I mean... Yeah. I, just, I just think let's not slag off... You've got to prove yourself, doesn't matter what Let's not slag off the from. standard you've of cricket. You've got to prove yourself. In other planets, just before until we've seen it. That's all I'm trying to say, all right? Just well, yeah. devil's advocate. Uh, now, also... <laughs> Now, also, the winner of two awards was Natalie Siver, or should I say Natalie Siver Brunt, after it was announced that her and Catherine are now going to wear Siver Brunt on the back of their shirts, which is a lovely feel-good story from the week of cricket as well. Um, but, I mean, Natalie Siver, she's sort of the English Ben Stokes of the women's game, isn't she, Norcross? She just, um, she's just an absolute superstar. And like Ben Stokes, it seems that the bigger the platform when the chips are down is when she plays her best cricket as well. Oh, absolutely. And she's been getting better and better. Uh, I think she had a difficult time and a bit like Ben Stokes uh, took some time out of the game for um, for her own mental health. And she's come back really strong, really, really good. I mean, obviously, the the decision to call yourself Siva Brunt as well indicates kind of clarity of mind. And wanted to, I don't know whether it's a sort of this is going to be the next part of my career. It could be. Um, but she's got a match massively high ceiling and she's a, a sort of player that Australia has in Talia McGrath you know they almost they, they play very very similar roles and there's going to be an Ashes coming up and we're going to be looking at that we're going to be looking at how each of them are performing doing that and um, with Catherine Brunt the other story is or Catherine Silver Brunt I should say uh, she's retired from domestic cricket so she will no longer well, I say domestic cricket representative cricket county cricket she'll play in the 100 should play white ball franchises. She's reported to have been seething at the women's IPL on the basis that she's probably only got about a year left in her. And why did this not happen six years ago? <laughs> uh, poor thing. Um, but then, yeah, there's that, and that, that's that's an interesting development. I don't think it's going to create a cascade of women leaving county and representative cricket. But uh, we mustn't forget that Catherine's what mid late mid to late thirties now, so. The longevity of her career, especially in women's cricket, is extraordinary. Women frequently, from her own generation, people like Ollie Colvin, who are younger than her, would retire at 22, 23. For her to be going still at this age is amazing. And to have transited from through so many different sort of eras of competence within women's cricket. You think, you know, she started playing 18, 20 years ago at representative level. The quality of players just got better and better and better. So her adaptability is is amazing. And um, I get the feeling, though, that this might be, you know, the Ashes will be the swan song. I think that's sort of what this might be leading to. 
Yeah, absolutely. But either way, an, an unbelievable career. Um, now, we haven't even come on to the two, at the time of recording, the two ODIs that England have lost to South Africa. They're going to lose this this series now. But I was so I've watched both games and I've sort of been dipping in and out of them. And, and Finney, I'm going to ask you something here. Is there... Is there too much cricket on TV to get excited about even England games at the moment? Because normally any England game, I'm bang up for it. But there's 11 different franchise tournaments taking place around the world this year. And as a result, we've got this sort of strong, but sort of also missing some huge names England team playing against South Africa. And... God, ODIs take a long time. My word. The overrate is was ridiculous. South Africa in that second ODI. Boldham is something like four and a half hours. I mean, is are we overexposed to cricket at the minute finish? Are we going to end up with this thing where we end up with lots of cricket, but not necessarily the best always playing the best? We've seen people dropping out of IPLs and Ben Stokes retiring from ODIs. That's That feels like where the game is at, at the minute. It's lots of cricket, but not necessarily the best always playing the best. Yeah, well, it's impossible to have the best player and the best when you've got three or four franchise tournaments going on at exactly the same time. I think the Big Bash, this Emirates League 20 or whatever it's called, the SA20, the BPL, then you're trying to put international games, the India-New Zealand series in the middle of it, the England-South Africa series. Um, yeah, it does seem a bit crazy and it does make you wonder where on earth the game's going in terms of how they're going to be able to keep the quality of the product that they're selling to broadcasters up. But I suppose the proof will be in the amount of people who are watching it. Um, and that'll be the only thing that determines whether these tournaments have any degree of longevity in them or not. So, yeah, I, I think it's a strange time for cricket. I can't quite get my head around the fact that there are this many tournaments going on at exactly the same time between people who own the teams they own the teams across country. So you've got Mumbai Indians, Emirates and Mumbai Indians, whatever the Cape Town, playing games on the same day. You've got franchises now playing games on the same day. And you've got an ODI team, an England ODI team in South Africa. You've got the England Test team in New Zealand now. They landed yesterday. So um, yeah, it's crazy to be able to find a period where the quality of the cricket is um is top top notch but yeah it's very hard to decipher at the moment to be honest so i've just flitted around your question and not really answered it one part of this that we got to add to the the jigsaw puzzle or, or take away in a sense really is that these three odis are taking place because they were supposed to happen weren't they Mm, and, during COVID, yeah, and there was a COVID, and and it was only like a year ago. Actually, it's amazing how things have moved on. But it was only about thirteen months ago, December or so, wasn't it? Of uh, of or, or or just before then, it was supposed to, whenever it was not long ago. And so there are these three outstanding matches, and South Africa need to win them in order to qualify for the World Cup. So there's a massive incentive for them. Uh, for England, it's the first of 13, and that's all, 13 one-day internationals they play, three against Ireland, three against Bangladesh, four against New Zealand, three against South Africa. And after they finish the Bangladesh ones in March, they don't play again until September for a World Cup in India in October. So it's a totally different vibe to the 50-over side from their preparation between 2015 and 2019, and especially in the last couple of years before that when they played loads and loads of matches. You see India playing quite a lot of 50-over cricket at the moment, and in India, 
obviously for preparation for what they're going to do. So um, the England series itself is a bit of an anomaly and wouldn't normally be there. Um, it would have taken there would be other ways of doing it, and COVID has affected still kind of uh, the, the backwash from COVID has affected the the fixture list. But I can't quite understand how you have four. 20 over franchise tournaments taking place at the same time because they get utterly destroyed. You know, the big bash has been rendered kind of absurd by how the sides that started the tournament are now left with none of their overseas players. There's a few English people left who I think just preferred staying in Australia for the summer <laughs> and charging about. There's really not many, you know, it's like Hayne and Hose, and that's about it. Um, <laughs> Oh, uh, Joe Clark, I think, uh, stayed on for a while. But uh, that that tournament is is going to end up with eleven Australians playing against eleven Australians, and their test players will have gone to the India Australia series, the Border Gavaskar Trophy. So they're not finishing the BBL, and that's their signature. This is Australia. Mm. That's their signature domestic tournament, one of the bigger ones historically, and now reduced hugely in status. And then you've got the one that's taken base in the UAE and you know the numbers don't even count I mean as Jared Kimber said on TalkSport the other day you can count them but they don't they're not part of your official statistics so they don't go in your like your quick info bio of your T20 official T20 tournaments because it's taking place in the UAE and there are nine overseas players in each side so the quality of it is on occasion very very high much higher than Possibly, you know, a couple of blast matches you'll see, but you can't count the numbers. It's they're not, it's, they're not it's, official. It's just and you've got the, and the Bangladesh Premier League at the same time. It's just unrecognisable. And, and I've, it's a weird one because, you know, it, I, I, I can't, you can't begrudge the players that are playing in these things because an average cricketers now, and I mean that in the nicest possible way compared to me, obviously they're superstars, but, you know, those names you listed there that are still out in Australia, you know, all good players, but... They get the chance now to go around the world and play in 11 franchises and earn an absolute fortune without actually being megastars that have ever played for England or anything like that. And you can't really knock anyone for being a part of these these franchises. It's just um, it's just bizarre for me as a fan now where I'm like, I flip, I turn on Sky Sports and I'm going, wait, what tournament's this? Who's playing? Oh, he, I didn't realise he was playing in this. Oh, I didn't realise he was that. It's, I've lost all track of cricket now. It used to be quite easy. It used to be like yeah. one or two series on at the time. But look, I mean, the, the you know. Isn't, 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 this a case, isn't this a case of the of the market? You know, what you watch is a convulsion in the market when T20 leagues look like they can make money. And so a whole load of them spring up and the strongest ones will survive. So I don't think this is going to be the status quo. I don't think you're going to find as many clashes because some of them will die. They just won't get the popularity. They won't make the money that they need because they're up against another league at the same time. It's possible. It's possible there are enough cricketers to sustain enough interest. But when they come in and out of different different teams, it's hard to create a sticky enough contact to keep that league supreme and earn it the money. So, you know, I think what we're watching is... Um, the, the beginning of that massive market and in about four or five years time things will settle down to something way more recognizable but we have to watch those convulsions and and also watch people getting furiously angry about it on twitter impotently and that's that's our lot in life i'm afraid yeah well thank god not... i've got a poncho 
Well, thank God you've got a poncho indeed. Uh, now, one final thing. We've managed to almost get through this entire podcast without saying the word mancad, and I'm sorry Ooh. to bring it up. I'm sorry to why? bring it up. Why have, you got, why have you got to bring it up? Well, because uh, apparently club cricket in the UK is bracing itself that the rise of the mancad in the professional game could trickle down into amateur cricket and cause issues and violence and aggression and arguments and fights on the field. Basically, they're worried that there's going to be a load of mancads this summer in sort of Surrey Fuller's Division 2, and that's going to lead to fights in games that are self-umpired, basically. Um, it Now, somebody plays club cricket, that's probably true, you know, because I've found that as we, my team, you know, I don't like to talk about our meteoric rise where we got promoted four years in a row, but that people were much angrier in Division 5 than they were in Division 1. My theory, my theory is the shitter people are at cricket, the yeah. angrier they are because they're frustrated by it. Everybody listening to this podcast will have played in club cricket games where there's an absolute psychopath in the opposition. Did you find that, Finney? Did you find that, that as you kept going up in standard that actually everyone was a bit more professional about things or was everyone angry all the time? Well, no, it's, it's a bit of a primitive... A macho thing isn't it I think you you sort of as you go up the food chain you become a lot more assured of yourself and a lot more confident when you're out there playing cricket that your skills and your ability will be able to do the talking for you but if you're maybe slightly lacking that you have to look for other ways and other reasons to get one up on people and I'd imagine that there'll be a few blokes there when they saw the man cad kicking off thinking oh in someone's if someone's putting together a good innings on a Saturday or something, it would cause an absolute riot if the bloke just stopped and whipped the bales off at the non-strikers oh. end. Because I've seen people kick off in club cricket because obviously you can't do it in um, professional cricket. You can't walk down the pitch and point a bat at someone and say you're going to see them in the car park. But I've seen that in club cricket before. And if someone man-cadded me when I was on 80 and I was just out the crease and I'd worked hard all week and this was my one opportunity to enjoy myself... Um, on the weekends, I uh, I would be pretty annoyed if someone mancadded me. So, yeah, it's probably for the better that they're thinking of outlawing it. I, I well, genuinely think I, I am, it will I cause am, fights. I, I'm the worst cricketer out of, out of all of us on this call, and I can assure you that uh, Finney's analysis is completely correct, that um, the less good you are at something and the worse you get at it as the older you get, the more the more you have to find any kind of cunning and devious way to succeed, WG Grace did, of course, didn't he? Famously, the older he got, the, the more of a cheating bastard he, just he became. Kept putting the bells back on. Just, just kept putting the bells back on. Exactly, <laughs> that is mental, and, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and you know, and I, 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 give, I can give you an example from darts. I was a, I was a moderately decent dart player at university, and, uh, and we're getting to the university team and this and the other. But, but largely by winning games through infuriating my opponent, not through a good average. So, I would know exactly with a slow player. You throw your darts really quickly and then stand behind them and rub them together so they chink together and make this noise and that drives them completely crazy. And then if you're playing a quick play, you just throw slowly, take your darts out slowly, and as you walk past, just nudge their waiting arm with your right shoulder on the way past it. Oh, sorry. While they're desperately waiting to throw. And these kind of things are what you have to resort to when you are basically no good. Mm. But, <laughs> but... It's all about winning, isn't it? That's what the, the game is. It's, um, is. Am I not right? 
Isn't no, I think, I think you're right. As I'm getting older, shitter, and slower than I ever was, I'm starting to think maybe my way to contribute to the ones is be the only one brave enough to mancad the scary yeah. guy on 92. And if that's my contribution to my club this season, then I'm I'm happy to be that guy. I'm I'm, I'm happy to, you know, get beaten up in a car park. But fuck it, I'm in the ones again next week. So it's a small price to pay, really. Oh, um, cool. Very very quickly, we will do more on the England South Africa series next week when it's finally completed. But um. The final word I want to give to Amrik Norkia, who is just a throwback with that moustache and bowling absolute seeds. I feel like Mark Wood's maybe consistently quicker. His average is always up there. But when Norkia's quick, my God, he's the quickest in the world right now. Finney, um, what's the fastest spell you've ever ever faced batting? And did it, how long did it last? Um, the fastest spell? I've faced a few. I managed to annoy a few fast bowlers over the years. I hit Dale Stain in the ribs. It actually came up on my on my social media on my Twitter or something this week. It was me hitting Stain in the ribs, and then it shows the um, reciprocal him hitting me in the head in the next innings <laughs> because he wasn't going to let me get away with it. The same happened with Joffre Archer at Lords. I hit him in the head. I saw him in the long room, and he told me, "You better be careful. You'll be getting that back." And I walk out just completely cacking myself next time I uh, went out there to bat against him. And and he almost blew my hand off my bat um, before I saw it. So, yeah, I, I've sort of caused my own downfall in that regard a few times. But, yeah, Stain and Archer were probably the two quickest because I annoyed them both by hitting them. Norcross is asking exactly that? the question just... I want to ask, which is, what? why? Did your captain if make... It's, it's Stain well, and Joffre it... Archer. Like, I, don't, I, I kind of get if it, it's... I mean... Bounce, yeah, but it comes to a point where... the shit out where... of Jack Leach, but not no, Joffre Archer. Joffre was hanging him. around. Joffre was hanging around, I remember, at Lords, And he was batting properly. And he wasn't trying to hit them out the ground. He was batting for quite a while. And the captain it was mid was at mid off, and he was like, you, "You're going to have to bounce him." And I was like, "Come on, really?" And he was like, "You're going to have to do it." Um, <laughs> so I bounced him, hit him in the head, and then he he squeezed my finger against the bat. And I don't know if it's ever happened to either of you where a proper bowler squeezes your finger, your bottom hand against the bat handle, when you're sort of trying to ride it, but it's just too quick for you, and it hits you on the finger and squeezes it, and that's unbelievably painful. And I reckon my finger was swollen for about 18 months after that. It was sore. <laughs> I couldn't, like, every time I'd wiggle it, it's still way fatter now, oh, yeah. this one. Yeah, it's still way that's fatter. That's the Joffre Archer finger. That's the Joffre finger, yeah, that one. Um, See, the thing is, did, did Joffre, because, you know, you should all speak to each other more. I think this is a man problem, man communication problem. But Joffre needed to know that it was the skipper that was to blame. You know, you, you are just a functionary in this in this enterprise aren't yeah, you bowlers don't see it like that you can still disobey the skipper can't you well you can and you can't i mean you know you've got contracts to figure out your livelihood putting food in your bed yeah but you can put it. one on his hip and he clips it down to fine leg and gets off strike or you properly dig it in halfway down and it hits him in the head you can yeah, you can disguise the one off the hip yeah. as an attempted bouncer and just say sorry i got my length wrong yeah you, you, I, that, I would just literally i just bowl a barrage of terrible i mean i would anyway but ter if i had the propensity to bowl bouncers i just run in at Joffre Archer bowl a couple of really bad ones and just say to Skipper sorry it's just not coming out very well I'll, I'll do it next time yeah but that still lives in your mind it's not necessarily the hitting you that you remember when you're a bowler you remember the people bowling them short so there's a few people on my list from last year that 
I didn't oh. bounce, but when I was batting, they bounced me. Oh. And they just go on your list, even we'll if get, it hits you, whether we'll, it hits you or not. If you're not expecting it, and and yeah, they, they you didn't give them one first, then they go on your list, and you remember that. Well, who's on your list? You got to give us your list. No, no, I'm not telling you because they might listen. Yeah, it's a very low. Do you know what? There's a very low chance they they're listen, not going to listen. Can I? <laughs> can I just say? Can I just say that if this if this system continues the way you're describing it. Humankind can never improve. You've got mm. to find a way of stopping this cycle of madness. No, all we're it, cricketers. All it is we're is... fast bowlers. We're all we're all stupid and mad in our own right. So but you're all keeping these lists, all these angry lists. Everyone <laughs> I mean, does. For God's me. sake. Everyone yeah, remembers. but that way, this way, madness lies, Finny. Jeez. I, I think we just need to give every fast no bowler in county cricket a poncho because you. Yeah. I'd say you've had a very sunny disposition ever since you put that poncho Thank on. You. Yeah. A few years ago, that one-star review would have broken you. But ever since you got this poncho, water off a duck's back. Yeah, I, I genuinely thought that you had a, a very, very series of strong points. Well, as you say, you Apart did Apart from the flip-flops. It's just, did, I mean, that's... I mean, I, if I, was, I, I would give him four stars. I'd give him four stars for the review. Our yeah. one-star review. I'll give him a four-star <laughs> review. <laughs> well, please, head online. Give us a five-star review. Um, you can still criticise all of us in it, but just make sure you just give us five stars. Uh, anyway, lovely to see you both, and uh, and uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, this is a terrible podcast. Five stars. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.